You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Hello, and welcome to SpyCast from the secret files of the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C., I'm Peter Ernest, the executive director of the museum. I served for some 36 years in the Central Intelligence Agency, largely as what is called an operations officer or a case officer. Every month we'll be bringing you interesting talks with visitors, with authors, with others who have something to do with the world of intelligence and espionage. Our guest today is a very unusual woman. Her name is Shannon Rossmiller. And rather than try and encapsulate exactly what she does, let me ask her to tell you what she does, because it is an extraordinary contribution uh, to dealing with so much of what we're dealing with today in dealing with the terrorism threat. So, Shannon, tell us what you do. Um, Well, after 9-11, I I got into... um interested in obviously following the terrorist threats and, and about terrorist groups and it wasn't something that I was particularly focused on before then um, but since that time I combined my legal background uh, foreign language skills and, and behavioral profiling that I had been interested in since I was very young to culminate and come together um, providing me with a skill set to go and create um, male jihadist characters on the internet that I use to I've used it over the years to infiltrate websites forums um, social networking sites, different, you know, message boards, um, just, you know, looking for, you know, different types of information that connects the dots to the different threats or individuals that appear to be threat-related. And in all that's come together for, um, I did um, up to 2008, 214 cases with the FBI. Well, that's extraordinary. Let me just go back and ask you some questions about what you've just gone over very quickly. Sure. You mentioned your legal background. Right. Could you touch on that just to give us a sense of sure. that? Um, I spent 22 years um, in, the, in the legal community working in the private sector. Um, and then um, in 1999, I took an appointment to the, to the bench for the, in the state of Montana, um, sitting as a judge in a, in a criminal court. And I did that until... I retired from the bench in 2006 and went to the Attorney General's office in, in Montana, where I spent just about three years. Left that and left the legal community, as far as that being my official profession, and I pretty much focus now on consulting and um, teaching and speaking about different things related to intelligence, and um, open, primarily in open source, and um, anything of that nature that applies to what you know continues to be a, a threat today. 
Well, I know we're on the air. Nobody can see us, but I must say you look too young to have had a full legal career behind you already. Yes, no, very (laughs) impressive. Um, The other thing you touched on that intrigued me is many Americans don't have really much exposure to learning other languages. We're just not linguistically inclined. We've never needed to. And you you touched on that, my linguistic inclinations. Could you expand on that? Well, um, I was a um, very... um, bright child. I learned to read around the age of three, and my parents couldn't find enough things to keep me interested, so they sent me to a Montessori school where I learned French. And so um, by the age of four, I was, you know, learning French and speaking French, and then French led to Spanish. Um, and I and I took those throughout school and then in college, and then um, I have learned a little German. And then since 9-11, um, I, I took on the task of learning the Arabic language. And and it's it's still an ongoing process, but it's um, fascinating. I just absolutely love it, and it's a challenge that, in my mind, <laughs> at least as far as things are today, I think I'll probably continue to be challenged by. Well, I can tell you in the in the foreign affairs community, and my background was CIA. Arabic is a tough language. Oh, it is. Are you is your facility in in certainly if you're dealing on the internet you're you're are you writing it are you yes. reading it Yeah yeah I'm writing and reading um as a as a female of course you know the identities that I've created and operated under um in in the various different internet sites over the years they're in the they're as males as radicalized jihadist males and so obviously I couldn't speak you know couldn't get on and and you know be chatting you know um verbally with any of these people so everything I've done has been um, either in writing and translating and reading, and which has served me well because not being um, a native speaker or having had um, a whole host of different, you know, formal training, um, I, I have had, you know, intense language training, but um, that being able to just, you know, read it, write it, take my time in constructing my replies and what I want to say and how I want to proceed um, with any given communication stream that I'm working in, um, that's it's worked out well that the fact that I, I don't need to speak it because frankly who would I speak with they wouldn't speak to me so you you, you remind me there's a famous World War II espionage case called Garbo uh, he was a fellow who worked for the British and uh, pretended he created some 23 imaginary agents ran them against the Germans who <laughs> that's what uh, I do <laughs> believed him right till the end of the war and it sounds like you've done something quite similar right. and and you've created uh, in effect imaginary people, Mm -hmm. and you've used those to engage others on the internet, and some of whom are you're describing as jihadists. Mm -hmm. I mean, are these, uh, and I think you you mentioned to me earlier, you've actually been involved in cases that have gone to court. Right, that's right. Um, I've um, created, you know, um, 32 actual, um, over the years, primary characters, identities online that um, at different times I'll spawn off other sub-identities, you know, in order to, you know, continue with making the whole appearance of who I am, what I say I'm doing, you know, a little more real as it is in the whole virtual context of, that the Internet provides. Um, and in that time, you know, different identities have been created, and, you know, as couriers, um, trainers, um, bankers, financing, uh, recruiting, all the different, you know, I decided early on that, the different areas I saw that were focused, um, that Al-Qaeda was focused in on the internet as far as the websites and forums, um, I needed to have an identity, at least one, for each one of those areas so I could continue to try and dabble and keep my hands in different things. 
um, so I wouldn't fall out of the loop. So um, then after time, um, when a certain identity has served its purpose, it gets martyred. And I go through the whole process, just as you see online with doing the martyrs well and everything. And, um, you know, it. those identities have, you know, led to different prosecutions, but um, the interesting thing was the two individuals that I'm um, that were prosecuted here in the United States, the so two high-profile cases, they they were the result of you know them those individuals stumbling into the Arabic forums, you know, looking to make contact with Al Qaeda, and thankfully, um, I guess it was me that they were that they that I you know they grabbed onto, and um, I was able to rein them in and keep control of them up until you know the cases were turned over to the FBI. So. You sound like a very, very good fiction writer in that I'm, I'm assuming you keep book on these characters oh, you're yes. creating. You keep, I mean, you, these these are people, you've given them backgrounds, oh, absolutely. personal problems. Yeah, and, there's no way, I mean, even the most intelligent person, you know, I think could keep it all exactly straight in their head. And so, you know, the one of the things I've got is I have notebook after notebook after notebook. Um, and they're all dated in chronology for the different things that I'm doing at the time. And as it turned out in, in the two prosecution cases, served me very well as being able to go and, you know, look back exactly what was going on at the time. So they, they're my records. They're my records of the identities I use, that I create, um, that has the different, you know, backgrounds as far as their cultural, their tribal, um, their clan, any of their, um, anything that I need to make that, that individual identity have all the appearances of being a real person sitting behind a computer screen in whatever part of the world I'm purporting to be from. You must run into instances where the individual who was either initiated uh, communication with you or whom you uh, approached uh, have a degree of suspicion. I mean, there, there must, I mean, it's like we're all being warned about the internet, scams and frauds and mm -hmm. so forth, young women on Facebook. So there's a general awareness of the, of of things going on on the internet. And you must certainly run into this in, oh, in dealing sure. with people who are yeah. already trying to function under some sort of cover. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I think, you know, that's fair. It's fair to say that that happens in probably almost every case. It's just a matter of how much you have profiled the individual target, you know, or, or let's say small group you're looking at to see where, you know, their insecurities lie, what the things they're concerned about and how what I can do to try and feed into those insecurities and, and keep them in my fold. So, yeah, there, there's a degree of that almost in every almost in every case. Uh, but it's just being able to zero in on exactly what it is that, you know, they might have insecurities about and then being able to give them a level of comfort. And and what I do is I usually try and take control. And so I'm, if they're if they're like a new you know person out there looking to go to jihad or whatever, um, or for training whatever the case, um, they're looking for a mentor, and so that's one of the roles. One of the you know um, characteristics of each of my roles is there's always some kind of mentoring um, aspect of that um, individual identity I've created that I that I use. But I, I'm uh, I'm making an assumption, and, and I'll ask for your your insight on this. I'm assuming to a degree that law enforcement is trying to do this on its own as well. Sure, sure. Um, um, when I first started, no, and back in um, 2002, um, there, there was, you know, uh, and I think we have to look back at how 9-11 changed no. the whole dynamics of our country. Um, for example, you know, turning the FBI into, you know, the primary law enforcement agency into a domestic intelligence agency. And so working through that, finding their way through the whole web of everything has been, a, you know, um, a growing and learning process that I've been able to be a part of with them. So um, there is certainly now 
there are people being trained and there are people doing a lot of the things that I started doing several, you know, um, eight, nine years ago. Um, which is good, I mean, because we need to be doing these things. But there's still the one level that I always avoid and I'm able to stay away from just because I, I, I maintain my independence is, is that the whole bureaucracy element. And that's one of the things that I have been able to um, be very valuable in is when bureaucracy comes in and says, oh, this is going to take us a certain amount of time to do this. Well, the Internet, you know, things happen in real time. You have to be able to, you know, act and react and um, and if you don't necessarily know the outcome, you got to keep you know the communications going. And so that's you know one of the um, elements where I've um, been very valuable is is when that does happen. Because of my legal background and different things, I'm I'm very aware of the different things I would need to stay away from, especially if I'm looking at an individual who's present here in the United States versus somebody who might be present in say Amman, Jordan. Hmm. Having come out of the intelligence bureaucracy myself, I'm envious. I mean, it sounds like you've got the best of both worlds. That <laughs> is, you've, you've got the, the, the excitement and the, and the satisfaction of working yes. right in the heart of this target, while at the same time you don't have to be hamstrung, as it were, by the bureaucracy. Well, that's true, but I also have to respect that that's the way <clears throat> sure. it is, and that's the establishment that there's really nothing I can do um, you know, to change that, but I can work within that. And yet it's been important to me just because I want to be able to continue the depth and level of the things that I've done. Um, and I think, you know, I've proven over the years that I have an ability to stay within parameters of the law or, you know, certainly within whatever, for example, if the FBI has certain concerns about whatever it is we're looking at, I'm able to respect that and stay within that. And, and, and really I would have no reason not to. So it works both ways. And, um, but yet it's it's one of those th bureaucracy is 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 there and it's not going to go away and I can't do anything about it but I can work around it and, so you and can in other effective. words you you you're quite conscious of <clears throat> the laws that applies to different people and and the difference between say working a foreign uh, target and I'll call them targets mm -hmm. versus say someone that's quite clearly domestic exactly yeah exactly and that was one of the things you know um, when, it, when I, you know, first started early on was I'm always concerned about whatever I'm doing is what are going to be the legal ramifications. Um, well, you know, um, for example, one of the first cases um, I, I really did with um, serious focus happened in um, July of 2002, and it involved an individual that was in Karachi, Pakistan. And so um, I'm thinking, well, what am I doing? You know, I'm looking at this individual. I'm respecting him at least as far as, you know, what U.S. law states and dictates and, and provides. And yet... When, when, you know, this guy's over here in Karachi, and so what I, so what I try to do is, as I very early on set up for each country I'm looking at, try to familiarize myself with as much of public information that's out there about the laws that might apply to what I'm doing in that country. And as it turned out, as the years have gone forward, um, that's worked very well in, in, um, with the FBI as far as them being my handling agency and then reaching out to their counterparts in whatever country, respecting their laws and doing that, and it's worked very well. So you've actually evolved into being a, an advisor, consultant to the FBI, at least among others, yes. on, on dealing with these uh, with sure. these and others, jihadists and sure. others, on the internet. Yeah, I, and you know, <clears throat> rather than me having to you know, be that person going out there establishing all these different relationships in different countries, there's really, you know, that's their role, that's not mine. Sure. And so for me, it was very advantageous to be able to have someone to take care of that, and I can do the things that I love to do. Could you share with us a, a case that you might have, a, a real case that you've gotten involved with that has gone all the way to the court? Um, or, or? Well, the first one I did, um, 
And like I said, um, it, you know, this has been a lowing and a learning and growing process over the years, but it involved an individual back in 2003 who was a member of the Washington Army National Guard, who Washington you, State of Washington, State of Washington, right? Okay, correct. Um, out of Fort Lewis, mm -hmm. and um, uh, his unit was set to deploy to Iraq, and he stumbled into an Arabic uh, an Arabic site speaking English, and so immediately, you know, he caught my eye, thinking, "Wow, you know, we're we're speaking Arabic here. Who's this guy speaking English?" And so one of the first things I always do is I, I go to and try and determine, you know, where their IP address might lead me, um, whether it appears as though there's any proxy elements in it. And as it turned out, he, he traced right into Seattle. I had him within a, a, a two to four block area radius in, in Seattle. And as I, the further I looked, um, it appeared that he was um, in the National Guard. And anyway, as it turned out, he had converted to Islam after 9-11 um, and had since that time been seeking and becoming more radicalized and uh, what he was trying to do was um, he wanted to defect to al-Qaeda and uh, he was offering up his role as a tank commander the classified specs of the Abrams tanks um, as well as troop locations and, and other things that he would, was continuing to provide me in order to continue to prove his his salt or his worth to whom he believed to be an al-Qaeda operative which was the identity I was operating under and he was arrested in February of 2004 and convicted of court-martial and got five life sentences and is in um, Leavenworth for the rest of his life. And were you required to testify yes, in that instance? Yes, I was. And, and I, I might add, when, when I did that case, that it was all with the intention of turning it over to the FBI. The FBI would turn it over to the Army, and you know, obviously it was going to be their jurisdiction. Um, I had hoped, and this is one of those times where um, ignorance did not serve me, and um, I had hoped that I would be able to just hand the case off and that would be the end of my involvement. But as it turns out, um, as it turned out, I, I did have to testify in that case. And that was the case that brought um, attention to exactly who I was and what I was doing. Um, uh, prior to then, there had not been any public knowledge of any of the work I was doing. Have uh, let me just ask you: Have there been has there been fallout from that? I mean, uh, have you uh, been concerned about your own livelihood as a result of, say, that court appearance and any other publicity you've gotten? Yeah. Um, well, like I said, um, that was the you know kind of the threshold where everything in my life pretty much changed, and which finds me, I guess, here before you and with you here today. But um, what happened in, in that case was there was between the army and the FBI there was a lot of tug of war over what information needed to be disclosed what was relevant and so you have rules of evidence factoring in and military rules differed from federal rules and as it turned out um, after the article 32 proceeding um, the press office uh, at Fort Lewis released the undercover identity I was using at the time which was also being used in other ongoing cases, and, and that was published in the newspaper. And so everybody knew that Shannon Rossmore was, you know, Khadija 1417. And um, after that, threats started to come in, and um, changes had to be made, um, of course, for my family um, and my career. I had, you know, been concerned about, you know, being a sitting judge at the time. What, you know, I was very confident that what I was doing, you know, wasn't unethical, but yet there wasn't anything, there's nothing like this before. And so, I, you know, trying to protect and balance those became became another issue. Uh, but, um, like I said, you know, um, it, it, maybe, you know, some people have asked me, why didn't you just throw in the towel then? Wasn't it too much? Well, I don't quit. And so, 
you know, I, I wasn't going to be defeated by it. And so I just had to learn to restructure my life and live it and um, go forward, continuing to do what I do because I've seen the importance of it. I know the importance of it. And um, I just, I can't, I, I just can't step aside just because of threats. I'm also, I'll make the adjustments I need to, which we've done. And I have security and protection and things like that. And I would, I would assume you find a great deal of satisfaction also in counseling and advising others, guide, giving them guidance on how you succeeded in doing what you were well, doing. Well, yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. You know, it's, it's one of those things that um, there was no playbook for this. And, right. and, and, and when I started it, I never intended to do what I've done. It, everything kind of just evolved as a process. Whereas, you know, I was a passive observer and monitor for several months. That led me into taking that next step to becoming more, um, you know, in operational, whereas I intended to make and, and start communicating with these individuals. And one thing, you know, obviously led to another. So over the years, as, um, you know, through trial and error, because like the, there's, there was no playbook for this and there really still isn't, um, it's been a, you know, it, it's been a learning process on both sides. I mean, um, so where I might be consulting or advising and, you know, providing some, you know, experience that I've got, I'm also learning on their end of it too, you know, how, how, how that affects and impacts and, and, you know, what the information might be valued or not valued. Can you give us some sense of, of what it's like, what, what these folks that you're communicating with are like? Are they all the same? Are they similar? Are they, they decide, I mean, does the individual come out in the process? I mean, uh, I mean it's such yeah. an extraordinary world that you've entered. Yeah. Could you give us some sense of what Well, you know, it's, um, like? it's interesting, you know, yeah. um, the one thing about the internet is it, 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 you know, it gives blind security. I mean, you know, a lot of people think that they can hide behind, just create a different email address and nobody will know who it is. And, and, and really, you know, um, I know that's not to be the case. And so, you know, you do, you know, the, for the most part, the individuals that I target to, to communicate with are, are very radical, are, um, they are of a um, mindset that is unlike anything we're familiar with, you know, here in the United States or in the Western, you know, in the West, for example. Um, so the things that they value and covet would differ, you know, extraordinarily from the things that we might find important. In what and, way? I mean, how do you, oh, when you say radically different? Well, I mean, you know, it, it can depend all the way from um, the, the, their, their tribe, you know, and, and how that factors into their life and, and how much of a, an importance that plays in. When that comes into the case, you know, you're dealing with people that like to stay into a tight fold. And so you, you want to respect those boundaries. Um, you know, each, each one is kind of different. I had one case that I worked um, <laughs> um where it was taking so long that this kind of emotional attachment that the my target, he was in Iman Jordan, um, his mother was dying of cancer, and so he wanted to, you know, desperately get back into jihad and get back into Iraq, and he was waiting for his brother. He was the oldest son, so the responsibility of taking care of the family and his mother fell upon him. And, and he was waiting for his brother to arrive um, from another part of the country to stay with his mother so he could, you know, get back into into Iraq and, 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 and fight with the Mujahideen. And, um, so going through the process of, you know, having to listen to him talking about his mother, you know, going, dying of cancer, and it was, geez, gosh, I really didn't, you know, I, I really didn't care because I knew what this guy had done, what he wanted to do, and yet, you know, the contrast of, yet he's still a human being who yeah. loves his mother and, and has those aspects, whereas, you know, we tend to think of somebody who is, you know, murdered or, you know, been involved in, you know, homicide or anything, mm -hmm. you know, of that nature, terrorist activities, um, they must not have a soul. They must not have feeling and compassion. And, you know, so 
in situations where you know you run into something like that, it, you know you're reminded of this is a human being I'm dealing with. It's not just words in response to what I'm saying. So um, that that was one of the more interesting long-term um, communication cases that I did. Is there a sense? Do you have a sense, being in that world, that it's also coming back at us? Is is there a a Shannon Ross Miller on the other side doing similar things to us? It's such an extraordinary world for most of us to understand. Well, um, I, I always have to believe that there is. I mean, a lot of times I won't know. <clears throat> um, but I would be ignorant, and I think, you know, probably shooting myself in the foot if I didn't believe that that was not, you know, a possibility each and every time. So, you, you know, for example, well, and the same thing can happen too where not years ago, but more so now, you know, it, it's likely that, you know, if – for example, the FBI wasn't aware of different identities I'm operating, that somebody who is, you know, officially working doing that might run into one of my identities and think, oh, I've really got, you know, somebody here, and then, oh, wait, it's it's her. And so, you know, th th there's that aspect of it, um, and then there's, you know, there's also the other side of it. But I always have to think, you know, but see, that's the beauty of the Internet, is people don't realize how deep and, and, and tracks that they leave. You know, they think that they can just, you know, um, I, I think there's even programs out there that, you know, offer to erase your tracks on the Internet, and, and it's just foolhardy. <laughs> if you know how to, you know, if you know how to mine information and if you know, you know, where to get it and, and, and follow it and what it means and what it doesn't mean, you can really build a, a, a really significant, you know, in-depth profile on a, any target that you would be looking at. Well, we talked about your legal career. We talked about languages. Where did, where did this ability come, to come from? Oh, I was like um, a very unusual child. Um, not only did I read young and, you know, was very bright, but I, my dad always read true crime books. And um, I grew up on a farm and ranch, and so I spent a lot of time at my dad's side. Um, he was always had a book, and so he, when he would leave different books about true crime, or as it turned out, as my interest would develop into serial killers, um, which led me into interest in behavioral profiling in science, um, you know, that, that's really where it started at a young age, is I started, you know, reading his books and, you know, understanding them to the extent that I could at a young age, and obviously, as I got older, you know, things meant more and I understood more, but it's, um, I, you know, for lack of a better way to put it. For me, it makes sense, and it's, and, and it's not disturbing, but to other people it, it has been, is I've had a lifelong love of, of serial killers and that the whole, you know, mentality and behavioral makeup that they present, which has, that, that component has served me extremely well in being able to look at a lot of these, you know, radicalized individuals um, that eventually become my targets that I work um, because, you know, it, at the core of it, we're all human. We all have that human dynamic. Sure. It's just what influences that and shapes us that makes us different. Well, I'm coming, let me just come back again, though, to your cyber, your, your abilities to, to move around so comfortably in the cyber world. In other words, where does that <laughs> come from? Um, you know, I guess, you know, there again, it's just one of those, when I, Prior to 9-11, I used to spend, I, I always arrive, I've always woke up very early in the morning, 3, 4 o'clock every time, every day. And so back then I used to research and write legal briefs in anticipation of issues that might come before me in court. 
and so that's how I would spend a lot of that free time, early time in the morning where nobody was up, you know, and so, you know, I, I was very good at, you know, using the internet for that purpose. Um, then after 9-11 and I started getting into the jihadi sites and, and, you know, just the whole process of going from one site to another, my husband, um, my ex-husband now, uh, he was um, a computer, he had a computer business, an internet business, and so he initially, you know, really gave me a lot of insight into, you know, what certain things mean, um, how to use, you know, um, proxy proxy programs to hide my IP address, things like that. And so it was just, you know, a thing, you know, early on. Looking back even to 2002, how things were as compared to where they are now, everything seems so, you know, um, antiquated back then as it is to now. And so it was a lot easier to find my way through, you know, the web that these sites created for me on the Internet than it might be for someone just coming into it today. So through the years, you know, I think I've, I've developed those different skills and understanding, um, the, you know, the different um, method or the, the different, you know, things that the Internet presents and where it goes and where it leads us. And you've really taken this on on your own, haven't you? Yes. This is not this is a world that you've entered on your own. You're doing what you're doing. I, yes. And I'd like to, you know what, I'd like to, I'd like to end on that. First of all, uh, let, us, let me thank you for, I think, quite invaluable contribution that you've made. And I think if anybody were sitting in, in, in my chair and listening to you, they might also ask, what is it that keeps you doing what you're doing, which is really quite extraordinary? You know, um, It's it's nine eleven and what happened and and I have never really gone gotten beyond that. I was recovering from you know a disabling injury at that time and so I kind of got radicalized against terrorism and all that then, and I've never and, and really that's what really led me to start doing what I do, and um, I still get choked up seeing you know news footage of the airplanes. I'm looking over there. You know, a poster seeing <laughs> some um, d different things um, from 9/11, and and really, it's you know, a lot, the farther away we get from 9/11, a lot of people it, they become you know disassociated from how traumatic and important that day was. Um, I had somebody tell me once that I continue to revictimize myself <laughs> by not moving away from 9/11, and I thought, well, I'm never going to forget. And um, it's not necessarily even a conscious process that I remind myself I can't forget. It's just, it, for me, it impacted me to such a degree that it really changed my life. And, and I was in Montana, you know, some more than 2,000 miles away, and I didn't know anybody in the towers or in Washington or, that, you know, died. But yet it impacted <clears throat> and changed my life. And so it's, that's really a motivating factor because as long as we have al-Qaeda, you know, Hezbollah, different terrorist groups, as long as we have that terrorist threat out there, my work isn't done, I guess is maybe one way I would put it. Um, it's just what I, I now know that all the skills, even my legal career leading up to where I am today, is this is what I was supposed to do. Well, Shannon Ross Miller, thanks so much for being with for us today. And, and my words are you to you are stay safe. I do my best. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Well, we look forward to uh, continuing uh, this dialogue with you. And uh, we'd like to know if you have any comments or questions on today's SpyCast. Uh, you can get in touch with us uh, through email at spycast at spymuseum, that's one word, dot org. That's spycast at spymuseum.org. Thank you.
Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here, your host over at T-Minus Space Daily, and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too. We here at N2K CyberWire work hard to bring you concise, intelligence-driven news and commentary, and we'd like to know how we're doing. Please take a few minutes to complete our audience survey and share your feedback to help us continue to grow and meet your needs. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey to get started. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us. 